This podcast is brought to you by the Los Angeles Inner Group of Overeaters Anonymous. Please visit our website at www.oalaig.org where you'll find three podcast feeds of over 200 sound files of individual speakers as well as events such as retreats and workshops. You'll also find order forms for ordering CDs of many of these speakers through the San Fernando Valley Inner Group of OA. Finally, we have a donation button where you can contribute to keeping this valuable service continuing for yourself and others. Again, our website is www.oalaig.org. I would now like to introduce our speaker for tonight, Tom. I'm Linda Tom. I'm a compulsive reader. Really good to be here. Thanks for asking me, John. Um, let's see. I just want to say, first of all, that I'm a visitor in this area. I don't, I don't live here. I live in Sacramento. And I've been here now almost six months. My, uh, my visitor status now is questionable. You know, and I, I keep identifying myself as a visitor at various meetings. And uh, like I was at the kitchen sink this morning, and I said again, Tom, I'm a perpetual visitor. And you all said, welcome, Tom. And that felt good. So... Uh, I'm going home in another month. I've been down here since the wildfire started in October. I work for a federal agency, and we're doing the tail end of the, uh, the, clean, the tail end of this, of this, this, this disaster. And I'll be leaving in about a month. And um, I think it was Francine. Yeah, Francine said last Sunday at uh, Saturday Sunday, "We're really going to miss you." And I just almost started to cry. I'm really going to miss you too, because I really am going to miss every one of you. And the LA Intergroup. You have great meetings here. Wonderful. We have good meetings at home, but kind of like it's kind of like oh, we went to Hooterville, you know, the kind of like Hooterville <laughs> meetings, and uh, not this strong. And uh, I told my wife, I'm going to bring all these people home with me. You know, we have we have two extra bedrooms. We can fit a couple hundred people in our in our home in our bedrooms probably. But uh, so uh, with another month to go in, in LA, um, I don't know. It's going to be hard to leave. I had to go to DC last week for some meetings uh, on Friday. And, uh, see, I'm a person who doesn't like Los Angeles. I live in Northern California. I'm one of those people. And so I got, I, I landed in L.A. and I said, said to myself, I got my, rented another car. I said, God, it's great to be back in L.A. And I said, did I really say that? So I've really become attached to L.A. and, and really attached to, to uh, O.A. In, uh, in L.A. And, uh, happy to be here to share tonight. And it's always a pleasure and an honor to do this. It's a pleasure that, uh, I get to share my experience, strength, and hope. And it's an honor that someone asked me and thought I had something to say. And because uh, I always say I'm a good example of a bad example, I, I gained 100 pounds in my first 10 years in program. I have uh, currently have 19 years, of, a little over 19 years of abstinence with almost 29 years in program. And uh, please don't do it my way. You know, I, I got here and I was telling Victor before the meeting, I gained 100 pounds in the program, and that is, uh, that's, and that's a hard way to do it, believe me. But when I got abstinent on January 15th, 1989, I was beat up. I was ready. I was just willing to whatever you. I was willing to, have, to do whatever you people. Requested of me, and all it was was those twelve simple steps. I had a sponsor. This is it. Be like if someone had cancer. You know, all you got to do is work these twelve steps, and you're cured. Like I worked those twelve steps, I'm not cured, but I'll tell you what, my life's a lot different. It was like when I got here, there was a bunch of puzzle pieces I didn't know about, and I saw them kind of floating around, kind of like in the in the lotto bin, you know, all the little balls. And I saw all the I saw all the pieces, and I knew they were there for me. And after almost twenty years of absence, you know what? They're coming together, you know. And I'm feeling that freedom and happiness it talks about in, in the uh, in the promises. You know, I'm, I'm feeling it now. I'm actually feeling it, and it's coming together. And I'm feeling serene. It says, "Well, we'll understand the word serenity." It doesn't say, "Well, 
feel it. It says we'll understand the word serenity. You know, but I'm starting on like in step two. It says we'll be restored to sanity, but it doesn't say when. You know, and uh, and for me, it took ten years. You know, to start getting restored to sanity, and uh, you know, I'm just I'm just so grateful for the program. I usually have a if I was home, I have pictures and and my personal license plate. I don't have any more, but I have for ten years on a car. It's it's a, a California personal license plate that says I O O A. And uh, I carry that with me all the time too when I go to conventions or meetings, and, and I share meetings. So my 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 share is all about gratitude. I'm just have a ton of gratitude for you people in this program because before this I was like, you know, I don't know where I'd be today. I was over 300 pounds 20 years ago. I might be the same weight and miserable. I might have lost. I might have went and got the surgery, took some cure, and been thin, but I'd still be miserable because it would still be the same Tom. You know. What the steps have done for me is, is enabled me to change how I felt, how I think, and how I act on a daily basis. I can change how I feel, how I think, and how I act with a quick review of the steps. And that's amazing for someone like me. I was raised, the family I'm from, is like I feel like I was raised by the wolves. You know, It's like, like by a pack of wolves. I mean, I love my family. I actually love most of them from a distance. And it's really sad. You know what I mean? It's like, what's this here? You know, um, Alan on Sunday at one, I'll, I'll be there. No, but uh, you know, um, I didn't dream last night about some family members. I haven't. I have a sister I haven't seen. She's my, my family is is deep in the throes of the disease of alcoholism, whether they have it currently or the effects of it. And I had a dream about it. My sister I haven't seen since basically 19. I saw her once in 1979. And I and in a dream I'm hugging her and I'm crying. I'm saying, Joan, you're my big sister. You're my big sister. And it's like. I was like, man, I said, I didn't realize. You know, I realized this morning how much I grieve this family I'm in I don't have. You know? It's amazing. This disease is just, it's been in my family, I'm sure, for hundreds of years in Ireland. I'm sure it was. Same disease, you know, different manifestation. And I'm the one who got the compulsive eating, you know. In a thin family of alcoholics. Believe me, it wasn't fun. But uh, usually I always qualify with the story that happened to me uh, I think it was around 1980. This happened. I'd, I'd been in. A, I'd started away in 1979. This was about 1980. I went. Um, I've been a uh, hiker, backpacker most of my life, and uh, uh, in the Sierras, many, many, probably several hundred nights uh, camping, backpacking, and um, been to absent. I've been to uh, hiked in the Alps, hiked in the Himalayas, went to Mount Everest base camp, absent. You don't do that at 300 pounds, believe me. You just don't. You know. New freedom and a new happiness, believe me. And um, so this trip I went with this guy, and he was my, see, i got to get this right, he was my ex-wife's best friend's husband. Now he's my ex-wife's husband, so, and that's a whole different story, you know. <laughs> it's probably for one of these meetings, you know. And uh, So everything is good. That was 30 years ago. So now uh, I think the best friend is still a little angry, but the, wife, the ex-wife is now married to the best friend's husband, so... That's what it was at the time. So we went on this backpacking trip together. And I brought, you know, I don't know, I probably went from eating all 31 flavors on Thursday to this, uh, you know, I don't know what kind of food I brought with me. I don't remember. It was probably some sort of diet food. And um, so I remember him packing these two, in this, putting in this pack, these two candy bars. And I, I, was, I, I, took, note, I took great note of that. And um, so we went to this place called Independence Lake, which is about 10 miles off of uh, Highway 80 on the Pacific Crest Trail. Northern California, and uh, so we got to our little Independence Lake, got to our little camp spot, set up our tent, and it was all good, and we ate, and 
Chris went off to go fish, and I said, I think I'll stay here. As soon as he left, I started thinking about those candy bars, you know. Pretty soon it looked like, like Butterfinger, like this big, and uh, Baby Ruth, you know. So I did what all you would do, and I went to his pack, stole the candy bars, <laughs> ate the candy, buried the wrappers in the sand. If you don't believe me, go up there. They're still in the sand up there somewhere. And buried in the sand up in, near Independence Lake. So he comes back. I don't say a word. I got so much shame, you know. Oh, this, you know, the incomprehensible demoralization sometimes uh, we feel. And um, he never said anything. I never said anything. Oh, this is great. This guy's great, you know. And uh, probably qualifies for this program also. But uh, so, um, so 15 years later, I'm with my new wife, my current wife, who been married 16. You met her in 08. Been married 16 years or in a few weeks. Some of you know her. And uh, um, so we go to pick up my son, who is now like 16. And, uh, and of course, now Chris is now the husband of the ex-wife. And so I said to my wife, Susan, Susan, you know the story I was telling away about the, the camping trip with Chris? Well, I'm going to make an amends today. So we stopped at this little Stop and Rob store, and I pick up two candy bars, the same type, put them in my, in my coat pocket. I walk in there. It's Chris. Remember the time we went to Independence Lake backpacking trip? He goes, Yeah. And I goes, well, you know, I stole two candy bars off you and never returned them. And I said, here they are. And he goes, I don't remember that. And I pulled them under my coat. And he goes, they're the wrong size. <laughs> so, when you get to step nine and you think they forgot, they probably didn't, you know. Amazing, amazing. So, anyway, um, I thought a lot of things like that happened to me. I was, uh, uh, when I was a kid, a little kid in um, uh, Pennsylvania, we had a TV about the size of this podium, a little teeny, tiny round screen. We used to call this show called Leave It to Beaver, you know. Leave, maybe you remember probably Leave It to Beaver. And, you know, June and Ward and, and uh, Wally and the Beaver. And I was like the Beaver in the family. I was, a, I was the youngest boy. And I'd watch this Leave It to Beaver show on my knees right in front of the screen. I'd look over my shoulder, you know what, and the family I saw behind me was not the Cleavers, believe me. It was not the Cleaver family. There was a lot of acting out. There was a lot of alcoholism. There was a lot of anger. And uh, what did I do? I chose food. I, I chose food. I don't even know when I chose it. It was at a very, very early age. And my, uh, some of my uh, pictures at two and three years old, I was already gaining weight. I was the, I was the biggest kid in the, in the kindergarten class, and I was the biggest kid in every largest, most overweight kid in every class I was ever in. By the time I graduated from high school, I was the biggest kid in the high school. And uh, that's, again... The demoralization of that kids are kids can be very mean, you know. And, and in the big book it says that men and women eat essentially or drink essentially for the, the for the effect produced by the alcohol. And for me, it was I ate for the effect produced by the food. I used to think it was the food itself, but it was the relief the food gave me. It's the fact that the, the food just the food numbed me out. And it goes on in that paragraph in the doctor's opinion, and it says that uh, the alcoholic life is the only normal one for them. And, you know, the compulsive overeating life and the binging and the starving and the exercise bulimia, and I've done it all, uh, was the only normal one for me before I got here. You know, I could, lo- I could lose weight. You know, as a, I mean, I lost weight when I was 14. I was on like a five-year cycle. It was like 14 and then like 18 and then 23 and then 29. I'd lose. I'd get really thin, you know, much thinner than I am right now. And, and, um, and then I'd gain it all back, like in a cup of coffee sometimes, you know, like, 10 pounds in a weekend or, or 30 or 40 pounds in a month. It was just incredible. I'd lose 60. It would take me three or four months to lose 60 pounds. And I'd, I'd yo-yo up and down. And then after some, somewhere uh, around age 30, it just, I, got, I, couldn't, 
I couldn't diet anymore. I just couldn't. I could no longer diet. And, and Bill talks about that. In Bill's story, he says, gradually things got worse. You know, don't they always? Gradually things got worse. They don't get better. They just get worse. You know. And he says that that uh, alcohol ceased to be a luxury, and food ceased to be a luxury. You know, the the party days of going out and eating with friends or whatever, or binging, was gone, and I had to do it. You know, I was. I woke up in the morning and, and I had to stop and get my fix on the way to work, or sometimes at work, you know, leave work just to get my fix. You know, and the fix was always it was always sugar. It was always high concentrated, usually cheap sugar. You know, I used to spo- I sponsored a guy years ago, first guy I ever sponsored in OA. He uh, he said he gained all his weight in five star restaurants. Believe me, I did not. I did not gain my weight in five star restaurants. You know, and um, so. Um, I, I, uh, I showed up in a way in, uh, like I said, 1979, and I walked in, and, and uh, you know, they say this is the only disease that will tell you you don't have it, you know. This disease will tell you, and this disease told me, you don't have it, man. I don't have this thing. These people are sicker than you, okay. When you, when, when you get that, and I said, I said to myself, when I get that sick, I know where I'm going to go. So I was in and out for a number of years, and um, I remember this, uh, one of these first meetings I went to, which was at Roseville General Hospital in Roseville, California, uh, a woman showed me the old gray sheet. And she came up to me and she goes, Tom, you can have, she's reading this, four ounces of beef, four ounces of turkey, four ounces of chicken. I'm going, that would make a nice sandwich. She goes, oh, no, this is like, this is what you, this is like one certain, you got to be kidding, you know. And so the, so the old gray sheet never worked for me. So, um, anyway, we'll go from there. So I got I got back and uh, basically I was in and out for a number of years and then uh, I still had this problem when I was a kid when I was on put on amphetamines on uh, diet pills and uh, and then that turned into like a, an addiction of its of its own and took on a life of its own and I after I went to OA I wound up in a treatment center for this these diet pills in 1988 and I realized that what they were talking about out of this this big book applied to me with food even more so you know I mean I had a I had a problem with with with, with diet pills and with speed I wound up injecting it uh, I was an IV user I had a problem with this but it was nothing like the problem I had with food my whole life and actually you know if, and what happened to me was if you've never never seen someone who who got divorced bankrupt almost went to prison over food it was me. Because I could back up all of my, uh, all these addictions to food. You know, I didn't start taking these diet pills until, you know, food became a problem. So that's what it was like for me. So when I, when I say that I, you know, and I've, I've been to Folsom Prison for H9 meetings, you know, and to think that I could have been there all over food is pretty incredible. And, and what, ha- what, what I realize now is that, is that the steps, our steps and our tools work together really seamlessly, you know. Like looks like this, you know. They work. They work together. And I was uh, I was a firefighter for almost 30 years before I and I retired in 2004 before I started this new job at the federal government. And uh, you know, most people have, like never seen a, an actual like never drove up and seen like a, a fire, like a house fire, a building fire. And if you did, you'd see. You know, what we did, we used tools and we used steps together. We used a fire engine, took it out of road, put it in a pump. We started stretching hose, putting out breathing apparatus. And use all these tools and took all these steps together, and it worked seamlessly, and it, it worked real fast, and people were always impressed with it. It's like what happens here; it just doesn't work quite as fast. Is when I use the steps and when I use the tools together, they they work for me in this in this seamless seamless fashion. And um, 
like step one says, we admit we were powerless over food and our life had become unmanageable. You know, that was the step that I had the most trouble with. I didn't think I was powerless over food. You know, I'm absolutely powerless over food. I'm like the guy in the big book, the jaywalker. I think he's on, in War on Alcoholism, page 35 or 37. He's got this obsession with running in front of cars and you know, jaywalking and gets a big thrill out of jaywalking. And, and, the, and, and finally he runs in front of a, gets hit by a fire truck. And that was, you know, and, and it says in the book, it, it's a, the, the analogy might not seem to fit, but it really does. It really does me. That's what I was doing. I'd go out and I'm going to get X. I'm going to buy this candy bar. Thinking, but no one, well, it's not, it's not going to work. Thinking, I'm going to stop right there. I know it's not going to stop right there. I know it's not. I know I'm powerless over food. And that's where the absence thing comes in and the, and the tool of the planning, plan of eating comes in, you know. And, uh, after, after this many years in the program and this many years abstinent and this many years on a plan of being, I don't have to write it down anymore. I don't have to call it in. It's kind of an intuitive thing, you know, and it becomes intuitive. And, and, um, and I know what I'm going to eat in the morning. And it's not that I don't have to write it down, but I can kind of like visualize in part of my obsessive brain what it's going to be for that day because it has to be for me. You know, it has to be, you know. Like maybe you're not here because of the food and maybe you're not here because of the weight, but I am. You know, I, and I return to step one often. In this uh, this work situation I'm in now, I've been in for six months. It's like almost everyone I want, every almost everyone I work with is doesn't live in L.A. They live a long ways away, and it gets lonely. And they start eating, and there are pink boxes everywhere all the time. You know, and they, and you know what's peculiar is to me is that I eat just I eat, just eat normal food. I just don't eat like sugar, and um, there's, there's some things I don't eat, and uh, many <laughs> many things I don't eat. And, but I just eat, like, normal, regular food. And I bring it with me. I prepare. I have a, I'm in a residence and so I have a kitchen. One thing I do when I leave home is I get measuring cups. I buy a scale. I make sure I get a place with the kitchen cook my own food, bring my own food to work with me. And they're always inviting me to eat this other food. And right away, people notice, Tom eats different. Tom does something different. And it's only because I just, and basically what it is, I just don't eat sugar. You know, and I don't go out to eat. I eat uh, Normally, usually I bring my food with me, and I've been out to eat with these people a few times. Because there's somewhere in my brain that, that, that you know, like, um, says in the OA 12 and 12, and step one, I think, is that, that uh, we, start to, we start to identify uh, eating and food, eating and, and eating situations that trigger us. And for me, restaurants in general, I usually, like, with a few exceptions, are yellow light situations. You know, I don't, I don't go out often. And there's a few places I can go, even a couple of uh, chains I can find anywhere that if I need an emergency meal, I can find one. But it's that important for me to keep my, my abstinence and my plan of eating is that important. And, you know, if we say it's not a food plan, it's a plan of eating. You know, we have, and there's that, there's that, um, um, the, the new Dignity of Choice pamphlet. There's, there's seven plans of eating in it. You know, if, if someone's having trouble with, with that, I've, I never used one, never used one of those. I never had to. Uh, uh, the pamphlet was out long after I got abstinent. But the truth was is I'm, I'm powerless. To this day, I'm powerless over food. And all I have to do is just not take that. It comes down to me to the first bite. It's just the first bite. When those pink boxes get busted open, say, Tom, you have to have. Well, one of our bosses left March 15th. You have to have a piece of cake when Gavin leaves. No, I don't. You know, first, first I told him I would, and I knew I wouldn't. You know, and I, knew, I knew I wouldn't. I told him I would. And the closer it got, I didn't do it. You know, and I wasn't about to do it. I can't take that. I don't trust myself to take that first bite. I take the first bite sober. I don't take the second bite sober. And I eat the rest of the cake, and I'm no longer sober, okay? And I always tell them, you'll know when I have a piece because there'll be nothing left, you know? So then my next adventure, my birthday, my belly button birthday is coming up. And uh, 
way, 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 way sooner than that. I'll be 58 in about 10 days. Yeah, exactly. The uh, 15th, yep, I'm, I'm uh, tax day. And so, I got this, Tom's got this bright idea. You know how the bright ideas go, you know? Okay, I'm going to get a sugar-free cake, okay? No one, no one, I can't eat that methadone desserts, you know? I don't, I, don't, I just can't eat the methadone desserts. And so, I get this bright idea, so I call this bakery. I go, I want a sugar-free cake. Okay. $82. I go, $82 for a 16-inch. you got to be kidding. So, the uh, thrifty part of me called the bakery back. I'm going, thank God, because I couldn't handle it anyway. Cancel the cake. I'm going to do something else now, something that's on my plan of eating that I can eat. And I'm going to bring in lunch for everyone, I think. And uh, But for a while, the bright idea told me I could eat. And also, you know, and it also made my life totally unmanageable, the, the overeating did. You know, that's the second part of step two. The second part of step one. You know, up to, I mean, I, I lost marriages over this thing. You know, I lost, like I said, houses, bankruptcy, you know, all comes down to, I was, I was, my life was unmanageable. When you think about it, your life is unmanageable when you're, at least for me, when, when I was overeating, my life was unmanageable. I had this, I had this 1984 Azuzu Trooper, and uh, basically I broke the driver's seat. You know, the springs, like, I just busted it. And I, my, my thing was, well, you know, they don't make them cars like they use. They don't make them bucket seats like they used to. So I just, you know, and I was convinced, and I, and I would just, you know, convince you it was the cheap car. Okay. So what I did was I switched the passenger seat for the driver's seat, and then I put a five-gallon bucket for the passenger seat on it. You know, our lives have become unmanageable. So... Anyway, and, and, and the fact that I can do this now, I've, I'm able to do this now for 19 years, there's only one reason. It's, it's step two, power greater than myself. You know, it's, we will be restored to sanity, but it doesn't say when. And I was restored to sanity, and that, that step is about hope. And, you know, step three is about faith. And uh, remember, uh, oh, many years, 10, 12 years ago, at least, I had a Swansea over, and um, I just, it was, right, it, was, it was April 14th, the day before my birthday, and I just planted some tomatoes. And tomatoes are very easy. When I first met my wife, she said, oh, you're such a good gardener. Tomatoes are very easy to grow in Sacramento. It gets 100 degrees, and those, those bad boys just grow forever. So I had this these uh, little tiny plants, like two or three inches high, and I had this uh, seven-foot-high rebar around it, these big rebar things you put in concrete. And um, uh, so I had this Fonsi over, and he goes, boy, you got a lot of uh, expectations of that plant, don't you? I said, no, I said, I got hope and I got faith. I've seen it happen before. I said, this thing, by the time we meet in October, is going to be seven feet tall. It's going to be as high as this, this thing. So, it was a cool spring and the tomato plants weren't growing. I was pacing in front of them, talking to them very gen- gently. They're good two, three, four, five, six inches. They finally, of course, it got hot, like it always does in Sacramento, and they took off. And by October, this guy came back over and these plants were ten feet high. They had grown out of the, out of the rebar like a volcano. They were huge. And uh, I knew it would happen. It's hope and it's faith, you know. It really, and, I'm, and it's like this program. It's like anybody, if, if Tom can get this, anybody can get this. I mean, we don't, we don't necessarily qualify the depth of our disease or the rate of our recovery. Believe me, I had this thing bad. I had this thing bad for until I was 38 years old. And I can tell you today that I'm free. I'm free from the food, you know. I, re- I think about food, but I really think about food like I want to binge, you know. There are times when I felt uh, very... In- Early on, when I first got here in October, we were working 12 hours a day, seven days a week. I started to feel entitled. That's part of my disease, the entitlement of eating. I was entitled to eat. 
And I mean, thank God I did. And I got over, and I realized what it was talking to us again, talking to a sponsor on the phone. I said, I feel this entitlement that I should eat, but you know what? I know where it would get me. 300 pounds or more again, and so I didn't do it. And uh, the thing about, about step two is that the thing about being restored to sanity. It doesn't happen quickly. Sometimes quickly, sometimes slowly. You know, these problems will always, always materialize when we work for them. That's what it says. And then in step three, there's that thing about the, the, making the decision. And that same car I was telling you about, the, 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 when I busted the seat, it started with a tear in the, uh, in the seat cover. And I said, I'm going to fix that seat cover. I made a decision, but I didn't follow up on it. Pretty soon, there's foam coming out of the seat. I made the decision, didn't follow up on it. You know, and uh, last year, the year before, we had a beehive. Uh, some bees or bees or wasps were making a hive right outside of our front door. And my wife said, "We better do something about that." And I kept looking out there. I made the decision. I made the decision. The, the procrastinator I am, I could see our, I could see us coming in the house with bee suits on pretty soon. And, uh, you know, finally I did something about it. I got a hose out. I took care of the bees, and they, they were gone. But just making the decision is, is nothing. It means following, it's, it means, uh, following through on the steps. And I did an inventory, you know. My first inventory was like, I looked up in the dictionary one time, and it said inventory is, is to look deeply at something. And I looked, had to look deeply at myself. And when I go to the doctor, this one time I was, went to the doctor years ago, and I'm in the office, and I get out the tools, you know, magnifying glass, and I'm looking at my hands and playing around before the doctor comes in. I looked at a fingernail, and I threw this little magnifying glass in the mirror, and I realized that my fingernail was cracked and it was broken under, under magnification. And I thought that was a good metaphor for step four. I looked at myself, and I was cracked and I was broken. I was from this family I told you about, but I, I have to love from a distance, and it's hard. And I did this inventory of, of, uh, of my resentments and my, and my fears, and what I came up with was the exact nature of my wrong. And the exact nature of my wrong is a fear. I'm very fearful. Very fearful. I was in D.C. last week for a meeting. I think I mentioned I was in D.C. for a meeting last week on Friday. And I wanted to go to an OA meeting Friday night. But I was afraid. There was something about me that was fear there. It was like, okay, here's the 100-pound meeting, St. George's Hospital, call a cab. I was afraid. I can't tell you why I was afraid. I thought, it's going to go too late. I'm not going to find the place. I'm not going to get a cab to come home. It was fear. The big book says we're driven by a hundred forms of fear. You know, and I had to find that stuff. My whole, my, whole, my whole thing is fear and shame. I have fear and I'm ashamed. You know, and thank God for the steps. I'm, I'm, I'm overcoming this stuff. You know, and, uh, and, and making that and making that admission to another human being was just incredible. You know, and like the first one I've done twenty now. I've been to the steps twenty times. You know, the first one um, was uh, I remember doing it, doing the, the fifth step. And not feeling what the big book said, you know, after, you know, not feeling his, his freedom. And I, what I realized was my first five steps were really not in order. And I did, and I went through the steps again and a few more times. And then I started feeling that feeling that of, uh, like I had a weight coming off my shoulders as, as a result of, of doing another fourth step and the fifth step. And believe me, it was one of the most, it was one of the, the kindest things I ever did was, was doing that. And then I, looked at, I went to step six and seven. And uh, again, it was what I found was fear. And it says in the, in the A12 and 12, in step seven, one of the last paragraphs, that all these, all of our, uh, all of our uh, chief activator of all of our defects character is fear. They're all just different manifestations, manifestations of fear. And I realize they are. You know, I bought a, my wife and I bought a house, the little house I own, invited thousand square feet. I invited all you guys to move in with us. Um, uh, we bought this house ten years ago, and we bought it off someone in LA. And um, 
it was an at the asking price, and uh, it was whatever it was, and then nine, like they always are, nine hundred dollars. And so, you know, back in the day, when I, I would have bought, if I bought a house, I would I would make an offer that was just ridiculously low, you know, ridiculously low, and dicker from there. I said to my wife, I said, this is a fair price for this house. Let's just offer her our, let's just offer her the asking price. So we were using the same realtor. And I said to him, we just want to offer her asking price. And so a couple hours later, the guy called me. He's like, i got to tell you, there was another offer today, too. And that she has to take the highest offer no matter what. Oh, no. I thought, what if someone offered more than, than uh, the asking price? So it turns out they didn't offer the $900 part, you know. And we did. And we got the house. And for $0.08 cents a day, $0.08 cents a day over 30 years, we're living in this house we love. You know, It's too small. There's a lot of problems with it, but we love it. We just like we just we know that this lot in this place with these trees is our home and we're staying there. It was all about eight cents a day. If I would if I would have done my normal thing and offered thirty forty thousand dollars less than I thought it was worth, which I would have done years ago before program, we wouldn't be living in this house. I don't know I don't know where we'd be right now. We wouldn't be there, and we love where we are. And it's just all about overcoming the fear. And I still have a ways to go with this fear thing. Believe me, I have a ways to go. But um, it's incredible when I realize that it's that. The opposite of fear is faith. When I practice faith, and often when I do my uh, uh, step 10 or step 11 in the morning, I do my meditation, I just breathe, deep, I just breathe in, I breathe out, deep, deep and slow, and then I let go. Deep, slow, let go. And I let go of the fear, or let go of whatever it was ever on my mind. And I, I have to get up, at, I get up at 4 in the morning, uh, I don't go to night meetings here uh, during the week, because I just don't have, I, I can't. I'm, I have to go to bed at 8, to get up at 4, to take care of myself physically, physically emotionally, and spiritually. I go to the little gym at the uh, hotel for the, my physical part. I uh, plan my plan of eating. I do my 10 step and I meditate. And I go to work. And I'm ready for the day. You know, physically, emotionally, and spiritually prepared. If I wasn't, I'd be right in those pink boxes. Believe me. I know I would be. You know? And then I, uh, I looked at step 8 and 9. And I realized it was all about, all about forgiveness. You know? And I had to look at the consequences of... Uh, I, had to, I had to go back and make amends for the consequences too, that I of the harms I did to other people, you know. And that was, that was a lot of them. You know, I, 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 had, I didn't file my income tax for five years. I owed the federal government like $67,000 or something like that. And I owed the state enough to like, buy a new car with. And I remember walking into the Franchise Tax Board in Sacramento and writing a check for all my state taxes I owed and leaving in the same clunker I drove in with, you know. And, but I didn't have that new car smell, but man, I had that new car feel, I'll tell you. I had a burden off my back, you know, I had a burden, and I, and I, I uh, paid off all those taxes, I paid all you people back with all, all those income, the federal income tax here, uh, but just about 10 years ago, and it felt real good to get that, to get that off of me, and I had this, I had one amends I made when I had this, uh, I had this battalion chief, and, uh, he did not, we did not, well, okay, I was a captain, he was, and he was my chief, and, uh, he was always on me, but it was always my, I was, it was always my fault. Okay, it was, I, I understand now that it was always my fault. It was I was always the problem, and uh, he was just doing what he had to do. So after I got abstinent, after I got in recovery, he came to by the station one day and um, said, "Don, I want to talk to you outside." So we went outside, and uh, he's standing here with his white shirt on, gold badge, and the gold everything, and the radio, and looking real official. And I said, "You know," I said, "I said you and I used to have problems in the past." And I said. 
I said, you know, Don, it was all my problem. I said, I hope at some, hope at some point you can forgive me for this. This guy started crying. And believe me, in the firehouse, you do not cry. You know? in fact, it was amazing. It's amazing how powerful these amends can be, you know. And the, the amends I made to my family, I was able to make to my family. My dad was, um, was alive. When, he died when I had, I think, three or four years or five years of absence. My mom's still alive. She's 92. And uh, I told my dad the night he died, you know, he was already pretty well passed. I said, I'll always take care of, of your wife. I'll always take care of my mother. My mother now is 92 and, and uh, in assisted living. And when I'm home, uh, I spend, I visit her every day. You know, like she has severe dementia. I go over and visit her, and it's hard to talk to someone with, with, severe, with severe dementia. I make sure she took her medication. And as soon as I left, uh, this time in October, she got much worse and wound up leaving her home, and now she's in assisted living. And like I told my dad, I'll always be there for her, you know. And I made amends. I made made amends to them. I made amends to all the family people, all the, all the family members I could. And the, and, the, and and like that guy at work, just incredible. And um, I, I just the, the the steps I focus on today are ten and eleven. I can't say enough about them. You know, it's it's like that thing about that daily inventory. It's so important to me. And I I'm like five in the morning after I go back from the gym and get cleaned up. I sit down there and I look at I look at you know. It says it with it. most people do it in the evening. I do mine first thing in the morning. I mean, um, I need a, you know the, the spot check thing all during the day, but I do a written inventory in the morning. Um, but lately, I've been doing the one, the AEIOU. How's my abstinence? How's my exercise? How am I doing? How am I doing with other other people? And uh, and then unco- uncovered feelings, and uh, it, it works well. It's working really because I have I've, um, one of the things going on with me right now is my older brother wants me home badly you know he thinks that because when I'm home I take care of my mother and I'm gone now and he's taking care of her and uh, it's been so hard to detach from him you know because he's still even though I'm 58 he's like 64 he's still the big brother you know and um, man it's hard to, to center myself and and I told, I told my my wife is my eyes and ears if I need to go home she'll tell me and not my brother and what I discover this every morning in my 10th step and I just, and I realize I'm afraid of my brother. You know, after all these, I'm still afraid of him. You know? And I have to and I have to come o- overcome that. And I do it in step eleven. In step eleven, I sit there and I, I go in, out, deep, slow, let go. That's on six breaths. And I do that for, and it just I let, I let it go. It's gone. But step ten and step eleven, I think, are also used like like all throughout the day. And um, I got this this uh, thing that happened with my wife and I many years ago. We went to a movie, one side Jack Nicholson movie. And then we were going out to dinner. Of course, I see, as soon as I see Jack Nicholson, I get that attitude, you know. And I got that attitude going. And we're in the car. Uh, we had we, we had dinner. We're driving home. And my wife said, you're being mean to me tonight. And I'm going, oh, she doesn't get it. You know, my terrible imitation of Jack Nicholson is going over her head, you know. And so I'm going to myself, yeah, we went to a movie, went out to dinner. So I said, and I'm thinking to myself, okay, 10 step. What am I going to do here? You know, I need to make an amends. <clears throat> So I said to myself, okay, Tom, by the time you get to Arden Way, you're going to make an amends. Get to Arden Way, I look over, I go, no way, you know. So I said to myself, okay, by the time I get to Highway 80, I'm going to make an amends. Didn't do it. Didn't do it. I kept doing that. By the time I get to Highway 50, I'm going to make an amends. So then, we're pulling right in front of the house, and I realized I need the power of God's will, the knowledge of God's will, and the power to carry it out step 11. I always know what the knowledge of God's will is for me is to be the best person I can be, you know, the best husband I can be, the best employee I can be, 
the best father I can be, the best program member I can be, to show up when I'm asked to speak. If i got nothing going on, I'm going to be here. And so, I ask God for the power to carry that out, step 11. And I turn around and I said, Susan, will you please forgive me for what I said tonight? She said, of course. You know, and this, it happens like that. You know, It happens like that. It happens that, And it's very powerful. It's very, very powerful. And uh, step 12 is like, step 12 is about service, you know, and, 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 and the fact that we never really arrived. I kept waiting after 12 years of absence to get a diploma in the mail, you know, like you have officially graduated. don't have to go back. But, you know, I think that if you work these steps and if you live these steps, after you've been through the steps, you're never going to leave the steps. And you're never going to leave, I'm never going to leave Overeaters Anonymous, you know, hopefully one day at a time. I'm never going to leave today. And I have friends that I'm not like those, have said, I've heard them say, I'm not like those people anymore. I am beyond the 12 steps. They have graduated and I'm going, how do you get beyond the 12 steps? It's impossible, you know. And it's like, it's just, we just keep, it's just, we keep trudging this road to happy destiny, you know. And, um, I used to be in a rowing club in uh, West Sacramento. And I learned how to row in these little skinny boats, and it was a lot of fun. And we rowed in these little singles. It was uh, right by UC Davis. And uh, there was a guy in the club, a uh, Polish guy named Ray. And um, he said to me, asked me, he said, didn't, didn't speak English too well. He was in the 70s. He said, uh, must row to Yellow House. And I'm going, what's this Yellow House? Okay. So apparently... Way down the uh, deep water channel in West Sacramento, there was this yellow house. Okay, so, so I go, okay, well, and it was like the measure of, you know, you can row that far or not. So I got all these ideas in my head what the yellow house looks like. You know, it's this Victorian. I had the, just the right color yellow, you know, and it had a dock. I, I imagine with the dock and these gas lamps, you know. And um, so I just, you know, keep rowing down this channel, and I get tired. I don't find the yellow house, you know. I go back to the boathouse, so... I tried again the next week. So finally, I'm with this guy Ray one time, and he turns out he rode in a, the Olympics in 1932 or 1936 with Poland. So we're going along, and I see some yellow in the trees. I look over my shoulder. I see some yellows in, yellow in the trees. I said, well, that must be the yellow house. And I, and I row up to this thing, and I see it. And it looks like a tool shed, you know? It's not a yellow house. It's a tool shed. I was so disappointed by arriving, you know, the arrival. We don't arrive here. You know, we just keep on trudging. You know, it's all through the... And, and we do it with service. You know, we do it with service of coming to meetings and service of starting meetings. You know, like, I, I came to a convention in uh, L.A. in 89 or 90 and went to a 100-pound meeting. I just lost my weight. I was a recent 100-pounder. And they said, how many people in this room have lost 100 pounds or more? Like... 75 or 100 people. I was amazed. I was like, in, in, in Sacramento, there wasn't, wasn't that many. So I went home and I started a 100-pound meeting, 100-pound episode meeting on Saturday night. You know? And then uh, I went to Hawaii uh, to see my sponsor like 15 years ago or so. And there was a meeting, an OA meeting called All About Abstinence. I said, oh, man, that's a great. And so, that's a, well, so I went to the meeting a few weeks and I went to the secretary. I said, look, I'm going to tell you something, man. I'm going to go home and I'm going to copy this meeting. So you might as well just give me the format. So, so he gave me the format and I went home and I started this the same meeting, all about absence, okay, in Sacramento. And then and since then, someone came through and hey, I live in uh, in Scottsdale. I'd like this format. So all about absence got from Hawaii to Sacramento to Scottsdale and all about absence now in the East Coast. But that's my home group, all about absence. I, and we didn't used to have a meeting on Sunday night, so that's my so I, we go there on, on Sunday night now. And then I wanted a, I would I wanted a um, I saw the need for a meditation emphasis meeting and uh, didn't have one. 
and there was no meetings on Friday night. Or there was a, I saw a, a, a availability for a meeting on Friday night at this uh, city building, so I started the St. Francis group. You know, we meditate together, and it's wonderful. You know, and I started an Ask Bill Season meeting, and um, I was uh, one of the people who moved our uh, our convention from hot Citrus Heights to the most beautiful retreat center, retreat center I've ever seen, which is in uh, Lake Tahoe, South Lake Tahoe. And it's all through the, you know, it's just, do, it's just doing service, you know. And really, the one who benefited the most is me, Tom Hopkins. Because you know, so, I'm here 19 years, three months later, used to be twice the size, you know. That's 140 pounds and maintained it for many years. So, anyway, um, I think I said all I need to say tonight. Thank you, and thank you again for asking me to be here. Okay, we have about five minutes for questions. I don't know if there'll be answers. We have. isolate in relationships with anyone when I was eating. And as I got out of the disease, became absent, worked the, worked the steps, as I, this is a much gentler Tom, believe me, than you know, I don't have my pictures with me. Just inside is a much gentler Tom than it was 20 years ago. And then I've opened up to people a lot more and let a lot more people in and, and just become a more like third step. You know, uh, Turn my will and my life over to the care of God. I became the, the person I think God wants me to be. And that is uh, a best husband I can be today. That's what I try to do. Okay, the, qu- the question was, how do I deal with, uh, in my work environment, people at- noticing that I, I eat different, and how do I respond to that? I just tell them I don't eat sugar, you know, and, and that, uh, um, well, they know, I've had a, uh, they know I've lost a lot of weight. I haven't real, uh, a few people know I'm in program where I work, but not too many, you know. I found sometimes that, that uh, breaking my anonymity in certain situations is leading with the chin. So I don't often leave. I don't often, if, if, the, if, the, if the case arises, I will break my anonymity. But uh, I just say I don't eat sugar, and I don't eat, I don't eat sugar, I don't eat meat, I don't eat fish. A lot of things I don't eat, I just, say I just don't eat it, you know. <laughs> it's their problem. <laughs> My relationship with my sponsor, is, my, my uh, first sponsor, day before I got abstinent, day after I got abstinent, and um, I asked this guy to be my sponsor, and he said, uh, no, but I'll take you to the steps. So we went through the steps together, and uh, he kind of taught me how to sponsor. And uh, I sponsor a lot of people, and a lot of times they don't know it, but they sponsor me right back. And uh, being being here, I you know get phone calls from sponsees a lot. I take people through the steps. You know, I just share what was shared with me. I go through the uh, the big book and the uh, 
the OA 12 by 12 primarily. Uh, I used to think when the, when the, when the OA 12 and 12 came out in 1990 and 91, I told myself I wasn't going to like it, and I found reasons not to like it. Uh, but then I realized it's a really wonderful book. You know, it's just a lot of it. The second half of that book is always how to, how to work the step. And um, what I personally do, what I personally have done, is gone through that book and the big book and the A12 and 12 and number the paragraphs and then uh, read the paragraph and then write on it. And um, done it. I've been through the big book three times that way, but personally. I don't expect other people to write as much as I do. But uh, I do ask people to go through the steps and write on the, write their impression of the. There's 16 paragraphs in step one. I do ask them to read a par- read the step, and then go back and read a paragraph and uh, and write on just their impression. It doesn't have to be a novel. Sometimes a sentence, sometimes just nothing to say. But that's that's kind of how I do it. What, uh, time for one more question. Yeah. Uh-huh, yeah. The big, the big book? The pink box. The pink box. Uh, bakery boxes. That's it, yeah. yeah. Well, my, my abstinence has, uh, has really evolved over the years, and uh, sometimes it's like a moving target. It's basically it's uh, no compulsive overeating and no binging one day at a time, which leads, uh, uh, it's like a triangle. It's either in the triangle or out of the triangle which leaves a, a lot of room uh, uh, there to, for uh, vari- variation. But what, what, what saves me is my plan of eating. I have a, I have a, I have a dedicated, I have a, I have a uh, pretty specific plan of eating that I stay on. Every, I don't call it a food plan. I call it a plan of eating. And my plan of eating is, uh, well, it's what keeps me at the weight I'm at today currently, the amount of food. I don't eat three meals. I, I usually break my meals up into two where I'll eat, eat like a, I could eat my breakfast at seven, or I could eat half at seven and half at ten, and that's what I choose, that's what I do. Not everyone does it that way. That's that is my plan of eating. Um, the food on is I don't eat sugar. There's many things I don't. There's, there's things I, I haven't eaten in fifteen or twenty years. I, I kind of there comes a point with me where I kind of lost track of it, you know. But I but I know that, that where my abstinence is, what my plan of eating is today. Thank you.